Today we are delighted to welcome music therapist Marianne Ritzkaller. Marianne is Vice Chair of the British Association of Music Therapy and Founding Director of North London Music Therapy and Music Therapy Outreach. Marianne is a professional singer as well as playing piano, flute, ukulele and percussion. Her website describes music therapy as a psychological intervention using music as a form of self-expression but Marianne is quick to explain how there is no one-size-fits-all and that music lends itself ideally to addressing every possible need the client brings in a therapeutic experience. She has worked with a wide spectrum of clients from patients with severe mental illness, dementia sufferers, young people with autism and behavioural issues. Her youngest patient was one year old and the oldest 100. If you've wondered how therapy works under lockdown, Marianne describes the journey she and fellow therapists have been on to share best practice and find ways to keep their important work available to the people who need it. Their guidance went on to be shared across the world. Stay tuned to hear about the upcoming conference on recovery scheduled for November. Marianne's enthusiasm for the power of music as a therapeutic medium is infectious and we can't wait to start this conversation. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Allianz Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable. Allianz offer cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Plus, every Allianz Music policy now includes free legal assistance and support, so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Now, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. To find out more about this and Allianz's special online offer of two months free cover, go to alliancemusic.co.uk. Allianz, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. And now we go over to the Music Works studio where Marianne Ritzkeller is waiting to talk to us. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you here. Uh, so today we have Marianne Ritzkeller, uh, the head of North London Music Therapy. Um, and I'm very excited to talk about all things music therapy today. Mm. Um, so perhaps could you start by telling us a bit about, about yourself and about music therapy and about your business? Sure. So um, I've been a music therapist now. Uh, I qualified in 2013. Um, I got a master's um, in music therapy from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Um, and I had a kind of circuitous route to get there in the first place. I've been playing piano since I was about this high. Um, and I kind of, you know, um, you pick up kind of other instruments along the way if you want to do music therapy. So these days I would say my main instrument is singing. And when I'm not being a music therapist, I uh, sing professionally with choirs. Um, but I still play piano, I play flute, and bits and bobs of guitar, ukulele, percussion, enough to get by in a session. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the things I like about music therapy the most is that um, as well as the extremely diverse... Uh, set of people that you work with you can make music in really really exciting ways as well completely free improvised um you kind of turn up in the room and see and see what you fancy doing today um and see what the person you're with fancies doing today and what that tells you about them it's really really interesting so um 
I've been working um, for North London Music Therapy. Well, I set it up uh, two and a half years ago at the end of 2018. Um, but before that, I was, um, well, I've worked in a few different places. I worked in an autism charity for a few years. Um, we, I was doing outreach, um, working with very little children all the way through to teenagers and young adults. I worked with the elderly. I worked in dementia. I set up a new post in the NHS. We worked on two inpatient wards. I worked in a pupil referral unit for secondary school age children who'd been excluded from mainstream school. And that was a really fun room because we had loads of recording equipment as part of the deal. We had microphones, we had drum kits, all sorts of stuff. So they would come into this room in the middle of the school and make loads and loads of music, really loud music in a way that it wasn't possible in lots of other places in life. Um, wow. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun. It's been quite varied in lots of different ways. I had a little spell working with psychosis for a while in a hospital um, and kind of various bits and bobs along the way. And then just before I started NLMT, I actually went back to the Guildhall as a staff member for a little bit and I ran some pilot projects for them. So it was setting up um, various new posts in lots of different places all over London, but also in Lebanon. I did a pilot project for two weeks in a school for deaf children um, in Lebanon, in Jampur, which is about um, 40 minutes outside of Beirut. Um, and that was particularly interesting because I am Lebanese and I hadn't seen my family in 23 years. Um, so as part of that trip, I was reunited with my family. So um, music therapy is kind of, it's taken me to all sorts of unexpected places already, it's all over the world, um, back to my family um, and working with people that I never would have expected to have worked with. I think... Um, a fun fact about the work I've done so far, at one point in time, my youngest patient was one years old, had an early diagnosis of autism, was coming to uh, therapy with their mum. And then my eldest was 100 because I was also working with dementia at the same time. So just the variety of people you can work with is so cool. It's, it's a really, really, really lovely, lovely way of uh, spending your week. Oh, it's totally fascinating. I've always been fascinated by music therapy and the, and the, uh, the work that you do um and that is just such an amazing range <laughs> there's not something that demonstrates how the power of music and how mm. it can be used absolutely so, um for anyone listening who isn't um familiar with music therapy can you just talk us through maybe an example of of um of how it works of what you might do in a session obviously you've worked, i'm guessing yeah. a different variety of people you might work with yeah, and you can kind of apply it in different ways depending on who you're working with. But I'm really, really pleased you've kind of put it that way. Like, can we have a, like an example of a session? Because the million dollar question is, what is music therapy? And every music <laughs> therapist needs to be able to answer that. And it's always a bit, um, well, depends who you're working with. But <laughs> for North London music therapy, how we would do it, and I would say that this is fairly typical. Um, you, uh, If you're coming for music therapy, you would go into the room and you would see um, a range of instruments laid out for you. So in our case, there would be piano, guitar, ukulele, um, a couple of hand drums, and then there'd be a table full of small percussion, um, little glockenspiels, maracas, triangles, that sort of thing. And depending on who you are and depending on why you're there, um, we will do a combination of things. Um, we'll make music together and nine times out of 10, that's completely improvised. It's made up on the spot. Um, doesn't matter if you've never touched an instrument before in your life, you don't have to play well, you don't have to play beautifully, whatever that means anyway. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be prepared to go in and make some sort of noise and see what that tells you and see what that tells us as a, 
as a therapist patient couple what does that tell you about you who's coming for therapy and what does how does that relate to things that have happened to you before in your life maybe things that have happened in your childhood or maybe things that have happened a bit more recently but um your music and the way you make music and the way you make music with your therapist can show us all sorts of things about not just how you're feeling but also how you relate to other people are you okay with being part of a team do you need to be really dominant and lead do you need to be really really loud and kind of overbearing or is it too difficult even to make the tiniest little noise do you have to sit in your chair and kind of do really tiny bits with percussion it's the therapist's job who's in the room with you to notice what's going on and reflect it back to you whether that's uh, in a musical way um, or whether that's by using words. Um, that's probably the most straightforward way of saying it, but um, there are kind of further options, if you like. So if someone is nonverbal, then there'd probably be more music and there'd be less talking compared to somebody who's verbal. If you have someone who is particularly anxious or who is autistic, perhaps, and could do with a little bit of structure, then maybe if they're very little, we do some activities. We do kind of little musical games. If they're a bit older, we might try songwriting so that there would be a kind of more of an obvious frame in which your music would go into and it would be a bit easier to think about. Mm -hmm. Then again, there's no hard and fast rules for anybody. Um, you really do. It's, it's kind of like psychotherapy with music in that you would go into the room and your therapy really is what you make of it. Um, you can say whatever you like, whatever's on your mind. You can play whatever you like, whatever's on your mind. And it's up to you with the therapist to kind of work out what's going on as part of that. Wow. How fantastic. <laughs> it's kind of, I think it can feel quite liberating, but also kind of slightly anxiety inducing that there's so much freedom. Um, but, in, but in a way, that's the point. Um, because... Um, you don't want to feel too comfortable because if you're too comfortable in therapy, if you're coming for quite a traditional therapy, then you're not going to do your best work. If you feel safe enough where you can feel challenged and you can um, let yourself be a bit more vulnerable, whether musically or otherwise, that will be where the richest insights come from. That's really interesting. Yeah, that, um, I see that in, the, in my coaching practice that I have as well. Mm. The comfort levels are important. The, yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's really interesting. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> my, my mind's gone blank of all questions now. This <laughs> happened to me before. I have a, a close friend of mine from uni as a music therapist, and he came and gave a careers talk at the university that I used to work for. Mm -hmm. And I just spent the whole rest of the week feeling terrible about the fact that I didn't go around helping people with music all day, oh, every day. God. <laughs> oh, God. I mean... Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that's I think that's an interesting reaction in itself, right? Because why do why do therapists come to therapy? You know, for all sorts of reasons, and it's not exactly it's not exactly as straightforward as oh my god, I want to help people because I'm such an amazing person. Like I need to <laughs> like go and like share my talents with the world. It's not really like that at all. Mm. Um, it's not it's not exclusively like this, but plenty of therapists come to therapy because um, they need help themselves in some form, um, and that's and that's often the case. It often makes you a better therapist. Um, mm. There was a thing that went around Twitter a while ago, and I agree with this actually. Um, that um, it's it would be interesting. Not every therapist would be comfortable to tell you this, but if your therapist is comfortable to tell you how much therapy they've had. If your therapist has had a lot of therapy, that's usually a good sign. That usually means that they, 
you know, either they know themselves well or they're prepared to stick it out until they do, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. And so tell me about North London Music Therapy then. So you obviously had a vast amount of experience. Um, so what led you to set up on your own? I, I think that was kind of part of it. Having a bit more experience made me really feel like, actually, I think now is the time. If I want to do this, let's let's do this now. What I was really interested in was that in the UK, certainly anyway, there's lots of music therapy for special needs. And for music therapy for people who have diagnoses in some form. So I think when we say special needs, we often kind of think of physical disabilities, um, non-verbal, you know, often with children as well with music therapy, maybe autism at a push. Um, and there's some provision for mental health as well. There is music therapists that exist within the NHS, for instance, that are working on mental health wards. Um, but what I noticed was a bit of a gap was that there isn't loads of music therapy in this country for, I guess, what we would call the worried well. People, yeah. that would, um, people that would come for psychotherapy or would go to the IAPT service in the NHS, increasing access to psychological therapies. Um, and I was interested as to why that was. I, you know, are we just not interested in that work as a profession or do we not think it's available to us? But that's what I wanted to do. That's kind of what I've been pretty interested in the whole time, really. Um, working with anybody that could come in off the streets, if you like. Not just people who quite rightly have identified that they already need help because they have a diagnosis. I'm interested in um, how therapy can uh, be part of our everyday life. You know, how we can take what we learn from therapy and and transfer it outside into our politics, into our communities, into the way we live our lives. I think all of that stuff is really, really important. Um, and psychoanalysis does a lot of that sort of thing. Um, but music therapy, not so much yet. That's the plan anyway. Um, so I set up um, NLMT with, I guess with that aim, that um, that would be the sort of person that we would be most interested in seeing for music therapy. In practice, um, because we have so much experience with autism, my team and I, I think our two main client groups are anxiety and autism. So autism obviously nine times out of 10 has a diagnosis. The people that we see for anxiety, most of the time don't have a diagnosis. They're living with it in the community. So it's nice, we have, we have quite a mixture of both, which is, which is really cool, you know, we can work in lots of different ways. Um, and I think the other thing that was really, really important, um, and this is to do with strategy and how we set up as a business, um, there are lots of music therapy organisations in the UK that are charities or are social enterprises or community interest companies. That's absolutely fine. Nothing wrong with that. Much easier to fundraise for your core costs that way. The problem is, if you're also fundraising for your sessions, that means in practice, most of the time the fundraisers will say, okay, well, we'll give you uh, 12 sessions worth of funding and then we stop, um, which is fine because that's what the fundraisers can do. But what happens if you're the person that's receiving therapy and you're not ready to stop after 12 sessions? Some people are. Short-term therapy works for some people, but not for everyone. And I, I am of the opinion, this is a personal opinion though, I'm of the opinion that we have a danger in the UK of favouring short-term therapy too much in a way that, you know, you have your six weeks of CBT or whatever, you go out, but then you have to come back again. And it creates what we call the revolving door scenario where the same people end up with the same service. Um, 
we say at NLMT that we would prefer people to have as much therapy as they feel they need. And to that end, we've remained private. Um, I might consider community interest in the future if we can still keep it free and flexible. That's got pros and cons. Keeping it private, what it means is that people have to finance themselves. And so there is a question of, well, who can afford this? And so we subsidise our sessions as much as possible. We have quite a heavy sliding scale. Um, so, you know, we have, we have a right proportion of people that can pay the full fee. Some people, in fact, pay over the full fee. But all of that money subsidises the people that can't. Um, so there is a question still of accessibility because there are some people who just genuinely will not be able to afford therapy. And that's an issue because how do we cater for those people? I don't know the answer to that yet. But at the same time, it means that people can keep going for as long as they feel they need to. And we have some long term patients who've stuck with us right since the beginning, pretty much. Um, because not because, you know, they're kind of too attached to therapy or anything like that. It's because they've still got stuff to work on and it's just taken them that amount of time. And we can facilitate that. We're there every week, you know, with usual breaks and whatever. But we don't have to stop just because the funding stopped. Um, we stop when it's the right time to stop, if you see what I mean, as much as possible, um, which feels quite radical and quite a nice way of doing things. And certainly to me, it feels like we can do more authentic therapy that way. So I think they're kind of my primary drivers. I called it North London Music Therapy with the idea that it would stick in North London. And so, of course, we've just gone south of the river and we're about to open up. <laughs> so we're about to open up a second clinic in Greenwich. Um, but we do have one very established clinic in uh, Finchley in North London um, where people from all sorts of local boroughs can travel to, um, which is very, very nice. Um, so <laughs> the name has already become an issue. But, um, yeah. But, very specific but it's almost like you were sort of asking to expand right if you call it something like that <laughs> yeah I, that, I appear to I appear to have shot myself in the foot but there you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it means you have a story to tell so it's fine <laughs> and we and we yeah. have a place of origin you know everyone everyone knows where we come from everyone knows where we started out that's that's the, my story anyway and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna stick yeah, to no, that absolutely it's like it's the same with um yeah with anything if you call it you know a place then it's like do I have to be rooted here forever or can I expand yeah. out and of course obviously things are always better when they're everywhere aren't they <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're really where you come from um great well um I, that's just so interesting to hear because I, I mean I have always felt that um yeah the the um the funding issue is always way too prevalent and obviously mm. it's always prevalent especially for people who can't afford it it is always going to be an issue like you said and it's actually really refreshing to hear you say that you don't know how to solve that problem because I go around in circles trying to solve that problem for audiences mm. um and in learners you know in music education I go around in, in circles trying to solve that problem all the time you know like how do you do it how do you do it so um you know there are various techniques we can try I think the, the sliding scale one is the is the most reliable one that I found as well, or some some yeah. kind of pay it forward type thing, effectively. Because the problem with things being free is that then they're not; it's difficult to value them. Yes, and, you know, and I say that knowing that it's yeah that it's not for us to instill value into things, and then literally everybody will be like, okay, I value this, and so now I'll pay for it. I know that's not the situation, um, but yes, yeah, so it the, the the issue of making things free and then having them valued is, is a real um it's a real challenge on the flip side of inclusive um pricing isn't it 
I don't I don't disagree with you actually in terms of in terms of value and you know how do we how do we provide a service that is genuinely affordable but still kind of people I mean this is particularly important in therapy because you know I think I think one of the most useful analogies for therapy is is going to the gym because you you're investing physically in yourself and I think um, therapy you're investing mentally in yourself um, there is an obvious parallel if you're investing financially in your therapy but then what happens if someone's on benefits and genuinely can't afford it there's only so much of a pot that we can have to um, to look after people that are really genuinely in that situation we still have to pay room hire we still have to pay our therapists all of that sort of stuff there is a kind of minimum as to how that it costs I'm really interested, actually, in your pay it forward idea and maybe kind of having a, a slightly looser structure in terms of um, being able to accept donations. Maybe that might make it a bit more possible, but still with the focus on people. Um, again, it's a kind of ideology within NLMT, but, but people um, investing in their own therapy, even if it's like a pound a time or something, if you're if you're experiencing genuine hardship, I think maybe that is the way to do it. I mean, also um it, this is a this is a good reason is it not to uh keep collaborating with other people in similar positions and kind of find out what they're doing and and learn best practice from them if there's one thing that this past year has taught me is that we we have to we have to get together as professionals as much as possible because um be trying to trying to go through a pandemic on your own as a small business leader is just impossible I think in some ways it's been one of the positives I've drawn from the pandemic that mm. it's been so much easier to reach out to other people and say no one expects you to not be struggling mm. um, <laughs> because there is no one that is not struggling in one form or another yeah um, but yeah absolutely no, I agree completely and um so oh yeah well so obviously you've mentioned the pandemic mm. um, <laughs> this is um a big thing so tell me about mm. the impact of the pandemic um from your perspective uh, from a music therapy delivery perspective and I know we'll bring in your other role here as well obviously um th that you are also the vice chair of the British Association for Music Therapy and I think yeah as you mentioned in our pre-chat that's had a lot um you've had a lot to do there as well Oh yeah, <laughs> there's been a lot going on. Um, you know, like everybody else in the country, we had about a week to pull things together. Um, and I think what was kind of liberating and also terrifying was the realization that as therapists, as the people who go into our professional lives with this kind of veneer of expertise you know we have to know what we're doing in the session otherwise we're not therapists we're all just as terrified as everybody else nobody knows what they're doing nobody has a clue unless you are working on pandemics and pandemic forecasting you know maybe then you would have you know had the idea that we might have locked down and society as we know it would have just been pulled away from us but everybody else it was a complete shock to the system um it was just completely impossible to predict. It was, there was no way we could have known it was coming. Um, so it was kind of the dealing with our own initial panic alongside everybody else. And um, I guess as a kind of slightly panicked response, kind of having to really kind of seize the reins and take initiative. So we wrote documents. We wrote documents for how does remote music therapy work? We don't actually know if it's gonna work, but if it did, here's how we think it would work. 
we said um, we made some quick decisions. We're, you know, we said we're going to use Zoom. This is NLMT now. We said we're going to use Zoom because it's GDPR compliant. Um, and if you can, if you need to record a session, you can record to your computer and you can ex and you can store it kind of in an encrypted hard drive. All of that kind of procedural stuff. Um, Zoom has a waiting room, so you can still have your waiting room like you would do for therapy. Um, you come into the session, you have your therapy, you then leave the therapy session as you would do. We didn't know if it was going to work, not least because how do you make music over the internet? All the audio favoring stuff, all the time delay, all of, you know, all of that. We had no idea if it was going to work. So a bunch of us got together and experimented um, and we kind of split off in pairs. And then we also tried to do some music making as a group. We made some videos, uh, which we put on YouTube. Um, the ones that made it to YouTube were myself and the chair of the British Association for Music Therapy, the two of us trying to play together and kind of going, this bit doesn't really work, but actually this bit does. Um, and in music therapy terms, what was really helpful was that improv basically did work online, even from the beginning. The kind of slight caveat was that you had to get rid of Pulse entirely. There was no way that you could play in time together, but what you could do was meet harmonically and uh, take in turns and do call and response for rhythms and for melody so it wasn't impossible um it was it was it felt feasible to be able to carry on um and i have talked about this uh elsewhere actually because there was a kind of uh i think you can look at it two ways because some music therapists said i'm not going to be able to provide an adequate service for my patients i'm going to stop this was mostly music therapists who were working with patients in care homes uh patients who were non-verbal patients with whose autism was so severe that it was difficult to understand that the relationship was still happening even though it was over a screen but for music therapists like myself who were working with verbal patients who were experience, who experienced severe anxiety at the best of times who don't like changes of routine um and also frankly we're a small business we have to keep paying our bills somehow we need we still need to be bringing money in and our patients wanted their therapy to continue. So it was in our interest to make it work. Um, so we did carry on and we decided to carry on. And because we as a team were able to be quite clear about our process quite quickly, it meant that all of our patients came with us. We didn't experience any drop off at all. So everyone continued with online music therapy, which was really good. Not everybody was happy about it. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't disagree with them, but we had no choice you know it was against the law we couldn't meet face to face by the time of the second lockdown there was actually a discrepancy in the uh, government's guidance that you could continue to meet if it was for therapeutic purposes so while everybody else was locked down we were actually able to return to face to face quite quickly um we had we we hire big rooms so it was possible to socially distance we were scrupulous in disinfecting our instruments and high touch places in between sessions we don't use we haven't used instruments that you can blow into for 14 months um but we were able to go back in a way that was perfectly legal and was more appropriate for lots of our patients some elected to stay online but a lot of people wanted to come back to face to face and so we were able to enable that for them but it felt a bit transgressive it felt a bit are we actually you know is this okay are we allowed to go and do this work and actually it was fine you know it was it was perfectly acceptable and it was and it was OK. Um, everybody had to fill in um, a self-certification form also to declare that they didn't have any COVID symptoms. And if anybody did even get a cold, 
we would usually just say just don't come we'll just switch to online therapy instead um so there were there were ways of working around it but then at the same time um because i've got this role with the british association we needed to um offer guidance guidance to uh the membership to all of the music therapists in the uk so i was asked to be the lead author for the best practice documents and i wrote two um I did one document right at the beginning, which was uh, how to how to work online most effectively. And the second one, as restrictions started to lift again, how to practice music therapy face to face in a safe way during a pandemic. Um, And how I did that both times was um, very quickly the service providers in the UK. So that's uh, famous music therapy charities like Nordoff Robbins and then other big service providers like Chilton Music Therapy and Chroma. They're probably the two uh, biggest names beyond Nordoff Robbins. And then smaller providers like NLMT, Music Therapy Bedford. Uh, there's a few places out in Bristol. Music House Therapy International. We all met every week on Zoom Um and uh, we established that quite quickly and the reason that we did that was for a number of reasons it was partly to be a bit like how are you doing I'm not doing too well no neither am I and it was a kind of safe space and a kind of like group peer support for all of us but also we learned from each other that was the most valuable thing we we all had to collect documents really quickly so we shared our best practice because all of our patient groups are slightly different so we could all learn and take considerations from each other and all of that learning with everybody's permission, made it into the BAMP documents. Um, And because we were, again, because we were able to mobilise and do it quickly, I basically just had to drop everything and write it in a couple of weeks. Um, We were able to get that out to the membership very, very quickly. We were able to assuage some fears. And actually what was really interesting was that that document was picked up in Europe, in France, I think in Austria, Um, It got picked up in South America, in Argentina, where there's a big music therapy population, and then also in Australasia, so Australia and New Zealand. So our guidance was used all over the world. It was it was UK specific, um, but everybody went, actually, this is quite good. Can we borrow it, please? (laughs) And so they and so they implemented our guidance with country specific tweaks across the world, which was which was pretty cool. must have been very rewarding for you personally yeah yeah Yeah. considering it was so scary at first and it was a really really big responsibility you know it's my own fault for getting myself into that position but um (laughs) but I didn't want to let the membership down once I was there so um so I was really pleased that um everybody came together as a profession and we were able to we were able to do something that was really valuable for the membership that that felt really really good that's that's so valuable i know the feeling that you're talking about i remember i did um a festival day in tier two lockdown in october and um the uh, risk assessment and the information for artists and audiences and i just remember feeling i mean this is nothing compared with what you're talking about but you know i just remember feeling so kind of oh there's a lot of people involved yeah i phrase something that's confusing you know and in the end it was like everyone was really really good and really got it and you know everyone was sort of happy to queue and all the things you're worried mm. about you know we're, we're fine but yeah I definitely remember that weight of responsibility of, of writing guidance when you just feel like I mean nobody really knows about this stuff or mm. well some people do but they're um not necessarily the people that are able to you know there's not guidance coming from really on high no. is there in terms of um this, this anything really um sorry it's gone a bit political 
Oh, um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I think I think most people stopped watching the news after a while, didn't they? I certainly did. I, I've, I, I've rationed myself to Guardian headlines once a day because that's about as much as I can handle. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's... it's I, I mean, I, uh, NLMT is relatively political. Um, we, um, <laughs> we, uh, we write statements when we're cross about things. Um, so I think, uh, I won't say, but it's, it, it will be relatively obvious as soon as anyone's read our blog as to which side our bread is buttered. Um, yeah. <laughs> but even, even allowing for the fact that it is a pandemic and nobody really could have predicted that this was going to happen, I mean... You know, yeah, I know. The, num- the numbers speak for themselves. They really do. And and the, the, the chaos of, I mean, I just think I was talking to someone earlier today about um, uh, lateral flow testing in schools. And she said in her, that they just expected, you know, that the school was expected to make contact with parents. I mean, I don't know really what had happened to cause this mm. person to not know that they had to do lateral flow testing, but they ended up hearing about it from another parent and you know you're just thinking surely there must be a way like mm. people are listening you know we yeah. want to know um it's very confusing isn't it um, do you know i think i think it's interesting because um i think something that i found over the past year and especially in writing these documents was it achieved a few things first of all it helped me work out what what i was going to do for my patients which every music therapist needed to do on a personal level. I also, you know, it was important for NLMT, but I needed to know how to do it for my patients. And then so did the rest of my team. So that was a useful thing in itself. But then what was also useful, and I know this because I'm a patient as well as a therapist, I have my own therapy, um, just the experience of having somebody else think about it on your behalf and say, actually, we're going to do it this way. And this is why, and this is all this is all being compiled with the best information we've got at the moment, but we'll review it and we've done as much what ifing as we can. It just takes some of the load off you. In a you know, when you're providing a service where you have to make people feel safe enough that they can jump off, if you like, and go into yeah. the parts of themselves where they need to be more challenged in a pandemic, um, if you're able to carry on with your patients, I kind of feel like that's the least you can do, really. Yeah, and I mean, it's if you're again to cut the the my experience of this being with organising events. You know, if you mm. want people to come to a concert, you want them to feel like they can come and relax. And yes, I mean, I went in the first when the pubs first reopened. I remember being, or oh, it was actually it was when the 10 p.m. curfew came in mm. last year. And I remember being in a pub at 10 p.m. and there was none of that drinking up time that you usually get in a pub. So she was like, the, the landlady, who I really felt for, was attempting to kind of give people as long as possible but then to mm. kind of get everyone out of the pub. And obviously everyone needs a wee and some people were yeah. drunk. And I was like, I really feel for this woman because she was trying so hard to basically, mm. she just had to boot everyone out because otherwise the police might come and... Um, and she might get into real trouble and I just felt like it was so difficult in in those circumstances so I was really aware when I was organizing the events that the fact that I'd done enough signage to basically cover an entire like global festival for a year just to get sort of 60 people in and out of a massive church was uh, (laughs) I then didn't want them to feel like they couldn't enjoy themselves so you know it's kind of like delivering all this incredibly um, specific guidance with 
you know, I'd like you to queue here and also mm. have a great time. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, like, yeah. and it's really, it, uh, you know, it's a real, um, a real challenge. But like you say, it's, it was the least we could do to yeah. invite people into this space and provide music for them. And then, but, but also not to let how anxiety ridden that was for me, certainly um, mm. to come out, you know, it's like, I've done that thing yeah. so that you don't have to essentially. Yeah. And and yeah. conversely, I think one of the things I found the most helpful um, right, right near the beginning of the pandemic, probably about a year ago, um, I attended a webinar um, with the Institute of Psychoanalysis um, who were giving a sort of here's our take on what we think is going on with the pandemic at the moment. And there was a lovely, lovely professor called Dr. David Bell, who was granddad age dressed like a granddad had a lovely little granddad beard and he sat there with his lovely lovely benign voice had clearly done a lot of broadcasting in his time and he just said actually we can't control anything at all we're not in control of anything and the more we try the less in control we are so the best thing we can do is to is to try and give into this a little bit as much as possible and just let ourselves feel what we need to feel. And uh, that was kind of simultaneously like, oh no, but also really, really a huge relief all in one go that actually just to hear somebody with a lot of authority, maybe I'm just projecting because of how authoritative his voice sounded, but, but somebody with a title of some description say, actually, there is nothing we can do about this. Um, we are we are all just trying our best. Um, you know, that was easier for me to kind of think about uh, sometimes compared to others, but it was very helpful to hear. Because it sounds as though it was said in a way that was like, and we're all in this together. Mm. Which I th- And I think what I've struggled with, um, with unclear guidance, um, and things like local lockdowns and discrepancies in numbers and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, things like, you know, being allowed to go to the pub but not being allowed to be with your partner in labour, for instance. Those kinds of things. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Has been that it just makes so many people feel like they're just being forgotten and not considered at all. Mm. And so that, that, you know, what that what the um, that piece of advice sounds, you know, welcoming and sort of all inclusive. Whereas I just, I mean, I'm struggling with this today. I was saying this earlier that this, this will be irrelevant by the time this podcast goes out in a couple of weeks. But mm. today in North Tyneside, we've had this really confusing piece of guidance that apparently ar- appeared last Friday. And most of us only heard about today because um, someone picked up in the press how unclear it was that we're not supposed to travel outside of the area because there's a, a high occurrence of the Indian variant in this area. But it's like, well, obviously we've only just come out of um the the latest set of restrictions and everyone's feeling very kind of ready to get certain yeah. their life back so this is a huge blow and we want to be safe but we want to be we want to be allowed to do the things that we've planned to do and for us personally my husband and I spent all day talking about this because we've got um we've got people coming to stay with us and yeah, I was like yeah. you know what, what are we supposed to do is it safe for them is it safe for us what about our mental health what about all of the reasons why we need this. And, mm. we, and we, we've said so many times today, like, I really feel like we literally cannot cancel this again. Yeah. <laughs> we just can't. And then it's turned out that it's not guidance and they've just withdrawn it all, which obviously is great. And it, it's better than them being like, actually, you're all in a total lockdown. That would be worse. But I do just feel like 
so much energy and emotion has been wasted today. Mm. Um, and, you know, not just by me, I'm sure. <laughs> well, um, I mean, you know, everyone, no one wants to do the wrong thing. Everyone wants to keep no. safe. Everyone understands the seriousness of this virus. Um, and it's And it's really hard and confusing, as you say, to kind of to know how to deal with this, to know what the right thing is to do when the when the stuff chops and changes all the time. And frankly, and I'm saying this as a northerner that now lives in London, the news is so London-centric. Yeah. If you're in a part of the country that isn't where London is at, so everyone down here is like, oh, it's fine, we can kind of like go to the pub again, oh, it's really, really fun. Oh, feel a bit sorry for people in Blackburn and Darwin. Oh, well, yeah. off we go. Luckily, we're not them, you know. I know yeah. it's, uh, we've been, I mean, in the northeast, we've been that... A lot. I mean, I've, I've not as bad as the the kind of Blackburn Bolton area. This has um has been really badly affected by this more so than other. We're probably yeah. the next area of the country that's been kind of in more restrictions more of the time. Yeah. And it just it does make you feel like as a region forgotten mm. and kind of uncared for. Um, I think it's interesting as well because I fall into this category again I've had both of my vaccines now um because of my job I was because I've been seeing I've been allowed to see people face to face so it was one of the jobs that was listed that where you can have your vaccine early um and I have not changed how I go about my life at all mm. I don't feel freer I don't feel more protected and I don't feel like um I can't, I can't guarantee that everybody else around me will have, enough people around me will have been vaccinated. So I still want to be careful because, you know, if I passed on coronavirus to anybody else because I was being a bit more reckless because I've had my two back vaccines, then I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Mm. And, I know, and I know a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, I know. It's interestingly, I've felt freer ever since the, um, my, my dad and my husband's parents have, yeah. had their, have had both their vaccines that has made me feel great I haven't really changed my actually what I do but there's been a weight lifted there in terms of I know that it's going to be harder for me to make them ill yeah. um but yeah my own my own vaccine is still to still to happen unfortunately but I don't see it making a big difference either yeah. um we've all got quite used to being very careful and cautious and that comes with a huge mental load and i think that's yeah. what this is good to come back to what we're saying yeah when somebody else can turn around to you and say for instance there's a high um uh, level of the indian variant in your area here is exactly what we want you to do about it and we've thought about what the impact is going to be on your life and we really think it's worth it mm. it almost makes me feel as though the people who make the policy just think that all of us up in the north just aren't really doing anything important and we're just all just like yeah you know like the, the thought of going away overnight without my son which is what we're meant to be doing later this week for the first time in like i can't even remember how many months and having a babysitter mm. and it's just like, yeah, that can wait, you know, because we all still need to be able to go to India. You know, it's just like, and I don't, yeah. you know, it's very yeah. complicated. Yeah, but um, it's, it's, it's really, really tough. It's really tough. Yeah. And actually, in, um, in therapy terms, we've actually been thinking about this in terms of trauma, because that seems to be what's most appropriate. I think... I am of the opinion, and I think probably NLMT are of this opinion too, that we've gone through a global trauma and we are still feeling the effects of it. And what that leaves in people is things like, you know, increased anxiety, hypervigilance, um, decreased levels of trust, more depression. Um, we are yet to see in terms of 
what effect it has on our children, on their language and social development. Um, on our older population, loneliness is a real, real issue. You know, I still, um, because it helps me identify as a musician, I still teach a couple of people singing because I have done for years. And one of them is an older student who is fabulous, but who during the pandemic was going days without speaking to people. And so his singing lesson takes on a completely different flavour then because he knows I'm a therapist as well, but also because he just needs to have a conversation. He doesn't need to learn anything in particular. He just needs to connect with somebody in the middle of a pandemic. It's really important. Um, another thing we did um, last year was at one point, um, a, one particular team member felt a real compulsion to support uh nhs workers and i agreed with her and um there are other people that have been doing this other organizations who've been doing it on a much larger scale but for a little while we had a phone support service for nhs key workers um and we did this um a few weeks before the nhs launched its own services um because we were doing it in a small way and we were just doing digital advertising and we kind of thought well we're ready to go so we just roll it out um we took further psychological first aid training, which is trauma-based, in order to be able to deal with it. And what we said was, you can either have musical input or you can just talk to us, whatever you want, whatever you feel you need. Um, and anybody that referred themselves, we offered up to three phone calls, whatever they thought would be helpful for them. Um, and we had a combination of people. We had people up and down the country um, that spoke to us in quite a short period of time. Um, all of the people that spoke to me decided they just wanted to talk and they just offloaded and they just really needed someone to hear what was happening to them. I ended up speaking to a, quite a proportion of nurses who um, were really, really struggling with the fact that of the head to toe PPE and how much it depersonalizes you mm. and um, how difficult it was to have the time to do things like um, brush a patient's hair um, do their nails with them, just kind of sit with them and be with them in a way that a nurse often has time to do. All of that was gone. Staff members were either dying or going off sick or going off long-term sick for mental health. Consultants were not coping. People were just crying all over the place. You know, it was, it was really, really difficult. And we know that that's ongoing. Um, we're not offering the service anymore because, um, you know, we don't want to compete with the NHS. But um, and it was only small scale anyway. And actually, the emotional toll on us was quite a lot. We both we um, we had to have quite a lot of supervision in order to kind of have a space to talk about it ourselves. Mm. Um, but it felt like a, it felt like a, a useful thing to do at the time. It felt more tangible than clapping. Um, and it yeah. felt and it felt like um, we'd been able to help some people quite quickly. Um, we were nominated for an Advancing Healthcare Esteem Award because we'd been able to do it quickly and because uh, the, service, the quality of the service was very good. We got 100% positive feedback from everyone that took part, which I was really, really pleased with. Um, and what I'd really like to share, actually, if, if it's possible to put out videos and stuff as part of this, um, a doctor in Manchester who referred um, a lot of her team to our service because um, there were also some people that wanted music as part of it. Like one of my teammates um, was playing piano and flute down the phone to somebody just to kind of give them a space to just kind of 
not have to worry about anything else for a bit. And this doctor in Manchester said, actually, I've been inspired. I've started using music in my everyday. And so she sent us a video of her coming back from a night shift, singing um, to a song called East Harlem by Beirut um, in her car. And it, it's, it's quite powerful. It makes me cry every time I see it, actually. And she said, could you please use this as advertising? I really think what you're doing is, is really helpful. So we did. Um, we, did as, we did as we were told. And um, I'd really like to share it with everyone because um, it's for a service that, we're, that is, is kind of still going, but we don't, we don't advertise it really anymore. Um, but it was just so powerful for, and so and she was so generous just showing us so directly that actually this is what music is doing for me now and this is how I've been able to use music to help me in a way that's meaningful to me that's all you would ever want from anybody that comes to music therapy in any form so it was pretty cool to have that as a as a clip yeah absolutely yeah and um, um, and so tell us about your your um conference that you've got coming up oh yeah um <laughs> i'm really excited about this um yeah. so we have uh, an annual conference which takes place every november and um, this will be the second year that we're running it um it's always around the theme of music and mental health last year obviously there was a covid19 slant um this year the theme is recovery because hopefully by november we will be in recovery, whatever that means. Um, but we are interested in what that means and how that will look and what the future of all sorts of uh, both musical and healthcare um, businesses are going to be like. Um, we always aim for a very, very diverse range of speakers because I think that reflects um, what music therapy is like. So we have speakers from medicine, um, from psychology, from psychotherapy, also from music therapy and other creative therapies the music industry, small business. It's over a whole day and um, we aim for a combination of things, some straight presentations, some case studies, so you can, not, and not just music therapy case studies, you can see how people are working. We had an amazing talk last year from a doctor, from a surgeon, in fact, who was seconded to um, intensive care during the first lockdown. And he gave this incredible study that was packed with data but also um, just told us what happened to his team and to his patients. And it was so powerful and moving. Um, so we have case studies, presentations and also panel events um, where we'll invite people to join in. Um, and usually with the panel events, we're talking about what's going to happen in the future. What do we what do we predict is going to happen over the next 12 months? How do we what do we think would be most helpful for the music industry, for music therapy, for healthcare? Um, mm -hmm diversity is really important accessibility is really important you know things like um the creative budget for higher education subjects being slashed in half while at the same time interestingly for music music therapists oh we support allied health professionals music art drama therapy are three of the 14 allied health professionals so apparently we're being given two with one hand and taken away with the other it's it's terribly interesting so um you know there's a lot to talk about um, and we've been finding that the diverse range of speakers that we had last year from backgrounds, from professions, from ages. We had some people right at the beginning of their careers and some people right at the end um, and from different cultures. It wasn't just white faces um, the whole day for the conference. Um, we found that that was the best way of, of learning from everybody. Um, so we hope that there will be something for everyone from uh, 
from people from the music industry, but people who are interested in using music um, creatively to support mental health, whether that's as a music therapist or otherwise. Um, so we're confirming special guests, hopefully in the next month, which is quite exciting. And our speaker range is coming out over the summer. So we have a we have a page on our website where people can sign up to get more information because the tickets will be released quite soon. Um, but it'll be taking place in November in a location in North London, but also online, which is very exciting. So there's there's kind of there's kind of no limit to you know where you are in the country. If you want to come along and you think it would be interesting, um, there will be an online offering as well. And frankly, I think that is going to be the way or it ought to be the way um for lots of events from now on where possible yeah absolutely especially i mean i've attended loads of conferences over the last year that i'd never have gone to in person yeah without the pandemic and i mean there is a lot to be said for going to a conference in person um and having that extra kind of headspace and time and honestly mm. i'm just dying to go on a train again like anywhere <laughs> just that that space that you get on a train is just there's nothing else but um but yeah the uh, there's been things it's it's so great the um the inclusivity possibilities um with having things held online mm. as well fantastic well, that sounds really fascinating um thank you it's been so great to talk about music therapy in the context of, of what we've all been through as well thank you so much I think there's a lot that uh, our listeners will get from this um is there anything else that you'd like to to plug or talk about before we finish I think I would just say that um you know as much as conferences are going to remain online um so is therapy um and I would really say that if you are curious if you you know if you've considered therapy if you thought it might be helpful for you but maybe you've been a bit put off by talking therapy haven't really kind of found the right way that's for you um just have a look at our website um it's it's good to have a chat we can we can look after people from across the uk um and if you want a different way of having therapy if you want something that's a bit more creative then we might be the right team for you um so don't discount it and if you ever want any more information from us or from any other organization that provides therapy then um and just ask you know it's not a thing where you you are going to be sold to no one is going to expect you to make a commitment to therapy um but if you want more information it's better to find out um and to try and demystify the process for yourself as much as possible so that you can make an informed decision um before you begin also um shop around if you don't like one therapist find another find find the one that's right for you um we are getting lots of referrals and we're and we're you know i'm very pleased to say that we're doing well we also have space for for new referrals but at the same time um if we think you need something slightly different to what we offer we'll signpost you to the right place it's not just taking on patients for the sake of it and any good therapy organization worth their salt would say the same thing so um as much as it's possible try and try and hold your fears within the context of actually maybe we could do something about this together with a professional and and just get in touch and and see where it takes you that's great advice i love that hold your fears in the space where maybe you could do something about this with help mm. yeah <laughs> fabulous thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to talk to you thank you um, thank you very much thank you so much marianne for such an important conversation 
it's been great to look at working in music from a different perspective from that of teaching or the world of performance today. Um, if you want to find out more about Marianne, her work, and her, the details of the conference, you can find these at northlondonmusictherapy.com and the conference is at northlondonmusictherapy.com forward slash recovery. Thank you so much for joining Music Works. I'm Katie Beardsworth and it's been my pleasure to share this episode with you today. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening.